Thank you. I was told that uh, you were hired to be Pastor uh, Pastor's personal trainer. That's what you were hired to, to be up here. Uh, people think that you're doing something else. You never offered to be my personal trainer when you were in Santa Clarita. But uh, anyway, it's so great to be here. It really is. It's nice to see one of my books returned to me from a former student who borrowed it 10 years ago. He's such a brave soul that he gave it to... to um, to uh, Dom, and Dom says, uh, here's, here's the book. I said, who's it from? He says, he mentioned his name, and, and he says, uh, so 10 years later, I get my book back. <clears throat> I'm going to send you a past due bill, Shay, uh, when I get home, <laughs> uh, but I won't tell anybody who it was uh, anyway. Well, it's, you know, when you saw these, this subject this summer, you didn't know you were going to have to learn Latin, did you? Yeah, no, sola, 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 yeah. This is a Latin class that you've come to this summer. Uh, that's okay with me. Every Tuesday morning at 8.30 during the school year, I get on FaceTime and I tutor my 13-year-old daughter in Latin. Granddaughter, yeah, thank you. I'm glad I brought you along too. Anyway, <clears throat> My 13-year-old granddaughter in Latin, FaceTime. It's a great way to spend time with your granddaughter, okay? So, um, so uh, you're going to learn Latin this summer. Wow, you didn't know that, did you? Well, I've come, uh, beware of Greeks bearing gifts, but I'm not a Greek. So uh, I have some gifts tonight for people who know their Latin. All right? I've got five gifts here. There's five solas. But the fifth gift is going to be the person who knows all five of the solas and can give me the English translation. All right, last week, who's going to volunteer? The Latin and the translation. I had brought these books. I've even gotten the author to sign them. All right, who's a volunteer? The Latin uh, sola for last week. Yes, come up here, come up. Say it out loud, real loud. All right, that's yours. All right, sola fide. All right, we're going to skip this week. Next week or any of the others in the future, the three in the future. Volunteer for one of the solas in the future. Yes. Sola no, that's tonight. In the future. In the future. Come on, yes. Sola Deo Gloria, meaning? To, to God alone be the glory. Okay, good, good. Uh, there's two more in the future. Come on. Sola. Yes. Yeah, it's sort of, it, it, yeah, the Latin is solus Christus, but that's okay. You got it. Can you catch this, bro? Can you catch this? Uh, oh, 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 what does solus Christus mean? Christ. Christ alone. Christ alone. You got it, bro. Okay, good. And then there's one more based on Ephesians 2 8. You're so far in the background, you know, and you've got on a five solas shirt. You don't qualify. All right. The other one based on Ephesians 2 8. Come on, volunteer, volunteer. Yes, yes. All right, say it in Latin. 
that's close enough, bro. Sola, sola gratia. Okay, by grace alone. Now the biggie, the biggie is for one person who can come up here and give me mine tonight and the other four. All right, who can give me mine tonight that I'm speaking on plus the other four? Come on, volunteer, volunteer. Come on, come on. All right, if not, I'm going to have to say it's open to one of them that's already gotten a book. All right, any, any first-timers going to try all five of them? Come on up here, bro. Come on up here. What's your name? Jacob. 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 You know... The Hebrew name of that guy that wrote that, uh, that book's about, James, is Jacob. What's yeah. meant to be then? Yeah, it's meant to be. <laughs> we shall see. All right, number one. All right, sola fide, faith alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Uh, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. Uh, sola, sola, I'm not trying to kiss you. I'm trying to get gratia, you on the microphone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Is that right? All right. Um. Sola Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. Good, and there's one more. Um, sola Christus and Christ alone. You the man, you the man. There you go. That's good. That's good. All right, now let me tell you, I, I want to start off controversial. What's tonight? Sola Scriptura. They, they told me not to stand in front of these, but I walk around, so if I start echoing, tell me and I'll back up. Uh, sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Listen to me. Ain't no such thing as scripture alone. Nobody believes in scripture alone. Nobody practices scripture alone. Pastor Art says, get the guy off. Give him the, give him the hook, Dom. Give him the hook. Nobody believes in scripture alone. Let me explain what we should mean by sola scriptura. Sola alone, only. Scripture only. Nobody has scripture only. I have a library of 3,500 books, all right? Not bragging, I'm just using this for an illustration. I've got colleagues that's got larger libraries than that, okay? 3,500 books. I would say probably 50 to 75 of them are Bibles. I don't believe in scripture alone. You say, well what, what, uh, well, what we mean by that is that we only uh, look to Scripture alone. How about Pastor Artavanish? Do you ever look to him for guidance? Uh, how about a commentary? How about a theology book? How about your doctrinal statement in your church? That's authoritative. None of us believe in Scripture alone. So we need to say, well, what does that mean? The Reformers didn't believe in Scripture alone. The reformers learned from the fathers. The reformers had doctrinal statements. The Lutherans had doctrinal statements. The Presbyterians had doctrinal statements. These are all authoritative things as well. None of us believe in Scripture alone. It, unless we just have one book, and that's the Bible, and we never quote a commentary, we never quote a doctrinal book, we never quote uh, a pastor, we never quote anybody, we only quote the Bible. That's the only people who believe in sola scriptura. Have I got your attention? No, I haven't got your attention. Should I be more radical than that? Have I got your attention? 
It's what do you mean by sola scriptura? That's what really needs to be thought through. I'm going to teach you another Latin word tonight that I think is a good um, uh, substitute for sola. It's supera, supera. Now, you can probably guess what supera means. It means super. (laughs) A person whose super is above everybody else. So, I would like to suggest that what we really mean by sola scriptura is supera scriptura. That's what we really mean. You say, Vonder, do you believe in sola scriptura? Of course I do. But we need to define it because uh, Luther didn't just believe in Scripture alone. Calvin didn't believe in Scripture alone. Calvin wrote a huge theology book called The Institutes of the Christian Religion, and he expected people to look to that as an authoritative source for doctrine. So uh, Calvin didn't believe in Scripture alone, if you mean that. But the Reformers did believe in supera, Scriptura, which means Scripture is above any other authority. That's really what we mean when we say sola scriptura, that there are many authorities, uh, but there's only one super authority. There's one that trumps. No, not, now that you use that as a verb, it's somehow, I, I'm, I don't know if I should use it as a verb, but you know. <laughs> Sola, uh, the Bible trumps, uh, okay, the Bible is supreme over any other authority. You may look to your pastor as an authority, and you should, but I know your pastor, and I know your pastor would say this, look to me as an authority as I teach you faithfully what the greatest authority teaches the Word of God. And I know he would uh, believe that. Uh, And we're going to see somebody in the Bible tonight who did just that. They didn't doubt the Apostle Paul, but they wanted to see if the Apostle Paul was really teaching what the Scripture teaches, all right? So that's what we mean, supera scriptura. Scripture is supreme over any other authority, and the Reformers lived and some of them died because of that that not the super church in Rome, I shouldn't say super, not the big church in Rome is the authority, not the guy who's the head of that church is the authority, not the cardinals are the authority, not the councils are the authority, not the church tradition is the authority, but the Bible is the authority. And, you know, as I come and speak to a group like this that, that, that are fed the Word of God, it's like, uh, am I speaking to the choir <laughs> You say, ho-hum, we believe that. But let me tell you, there are people who, who died because of that. Now, you've probably heard a lot about Luther, and you probably will um, in this summer if you haven't heard about him. My wife and I, God willing, uh, the first week of August are going on a river cruise. We've been on sea cruise. We've been on an ocean cruise. Uh, but we've never been on a river cruise. So we're going on a river cruise on the Elbe River, starting at Prague. 
And John Huss was a great pre-reformer from, uh, from uh, uh, Prague. And we're heading up the Elba River and we're ending up in Wittenberg where Luther uh, did most of his uh, dirty work, his, uh, his, uh, his, his work uh, there in Wittenberg. So, so we're looking forward to that. And you've probably heard some things about Luther. You've heard about the 95 Theses, and you've heard about his great statement at the, the kids love this, the Diet of Worms. Yes, right, the kids love it. The D8 of Worms, uh, where he stood before the emperor and didn't back down. <laughs> And when he was told, Martin Luther, deny these things that are in these books. And he says, I can't deny them because what is in them is taught in the word of God. And if I deny them, I'm denying the word of God. Martin Luther, declare these as heresy. And he says, I am not. I can't deny my conscience unless I am convinced by the word of God I cannot deny God, here I stand, I can do no other. Gott help mir, I believe that's the German. God help me. God help me, I can do no other, here I stand. You've heard of Luther. Have you ever heard of Zwingli? Zwingli was a, was a Zurich uh, um, a reformer. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about Zurich, uh, about uh, Zwingli. Luther was not the only reformer to affirm Scripture's authority. A priest in Switzerland by the name of Zwingli came to many of the conclusions that Luther did. Zwingli's turn to Reformation theology came more progressively, but he actually came to the same convictions independent of reading Luther, but at the same time. They both were coming to the same convictions, one in Zurich, Switzerland, and the other one in Wittenberg, Germany. Uh, Zwingli feasted upon the biblical text, memorizing all of Paul's apostle, uh, epistles in Greek. By turning to God's word, Zwingli saw his great need to be led by the word of God and to set aside all these human teachings, he says, and to learn the doctrine of God direct from his word. And you say, well, what's so radical about that? Let me tell you, in 1516 Europe, it was radical to say that I am going to base my beliefs just on the Bible and not any other authority. It was radical. Zwingli was called as a priest to minister in Zurich. And on January 1st, 1519, he surprised his congregation by abandoning the lectionary. Now, you're independents, you're Baptists, and, and uh, you, uh, you don't have a lectionary. But in the Roman Catholic Church and in formal churches, you are told each week what the Scripture reading is. A scripture from the Old Testament, Scripture from the New Testament, and the priest is supposed to preach from those texts. Okay? He abandons that. He began preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Uh, uh, Zwingli was done with, which he, with what he called canned sermons. Priests would just read a sermon that was handed down to them by a bishop, and they would just 
spout it. He says, no more of that. I'm going to do the radical thing of opening to Matthew and teaching Matthew. And for people in Europe, that was an absolutely radical new thing. I don't think we can fully appreciate it. After Zwingli finished Matthew, he continued preaching through Acts, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Galatians, 1st, 2nd Peter. By 1525, Zwingli had preached through most of the New Testament, so he started preaching through the Old Testament. You say, well, big deal. Oh, it's radical, folks. No one did this. But Zwingli did. Why? Because he believed that the Bible... And the Bible alone is the authoritative source for what we believe and what we teach. Tensions began to rise in the city because not everybody saw it the way he did. And he had his first disputation in 1523, uh, Johannes Fabri. <laughs> uh, Zwingli showed up with three books. A Hebrew Old Testament, a Greek New Testament, and a Latin Vulgate. He says, let's get it on, guys. In the debate with Fabri, the issue of biblical authority became the focal point. Here it comes. When Rome's doctrine of the intercession of the saints, you know what intercessions of the saints is? Uh, you, I, I was 18 years old when I learned what intercession of the saints was. I grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I can put on Southern California, Southern, Southern accent if I want to, boy. Yes, I can. I can. But I, uh, I moved up north and I got rid of it. But anyway, I, uh, I, uh, 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 I met a Yankee girl from Philadelphia. She cured me. She said, you can't say can't in the pulpit. Anyway, so, uh, so uh, uh, I, I, I was at Bob Jones University and we were going out witnessing. And it was on the streets of Asheville, North Carolina. And I was witnessing. I said, uh, you need to know the Lord. He said, young man, if I need to know the Lord, I go to Father McGillicuddy. And Father McGillicuddy goes to the saints. And the saints go to Mary. And Mary goes to Jesus. And Jesus goes to the Father. I had never heard that in my life. I'm from Spartanburg, South Carolina. You shake a tree and a Baptist preacher falls out of it in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I said, could you say that again? And he said it again. If I want something, I go to Father McGillicuddy. He goes to the saints and the saints go to uh, Mary and Mary goes to Jesus and Jesus goes to the Father. And I didn't know much theology. I just said, well, I hope the message doesn't get confused in transmission. That's all I knew. You know, so intercession of the saints, okay? And Mary, pray to Mary. That issue was raised. Zwingli placed the burden of proof on Fabri, asking him, please tell us exactly where in Scripture such a doctrine is found, that the saints will intercede for us in heaven, and Mary will intercede for us in heaven. Fabri appealed to the history and traditions of the Roman church. While Zing, Zwingli appealed to scripture. As a matter of fact he said. I'm going to show you where this is found in scripture. It's not found there. So he put the ball in Fabri's court. 
Tell me in scripture where this is found. And Fabry appealed to the tradition and appealed to the councils and, uh, and uh, so forth and so on. And Zwingli just kept coming back to scripture. For unlike tradition, he believed that scripture alone is inspired by God, is without error, and is our final authority. There it is, supera scriptura. Our final authority. While Fabry claimed that the church assembled as a council cannot err, Zwingli argued that the church, as represented by popes, cardinals, and bishops, as well as various councils, had erred and contradicted themselves. Scripture alone, there it is, sola scriptura, exclaimed, Zwingli is free from error. Every common person, argued Zwingli, should have a copy of the Greek New Testament. And I say amen to that. No longer could bishops and priests claim special authority and privilege to the Bible as the only ones who can and should interpret its meaning, as if the common Christian did not also have the Holy Spirit. The clergy were no longer to have a monopoly on Scripture. And so the town council, that's how they did it in those days. The town council came out and heard this and they all voted and sent Fabry packing and said, we want this in Zurich. And the whole town, at least outwardly, welcomed the Reformation because a man was brave enough to say, we're going to believe and we're going to practice what is in the Bible and if it cannot be shown that it's in the Bible, we may do it, but it's not going to be, you know, required. All right? It's not going to be required because there is one authority, shall I say it again, that trumps all other authorities, and that is the Bible. In 1531, uh, Zwingli died, can you believe, on a battlefield. He was a chaplain in the army of the Swiss cantons. I won't tell you what the enemy did to his body when they found him. That was Zwingli. Now, let me ask you a question. All right, all right, it's okay to say that, Varner, but um, does the Bible teach supera scripture? Does the Bible teach about itself superascripture? In the little time that we have left, I want us to look at that. Our first text is actually in here at the back. It's an odd text. I guarantee you nobody would have thought about this tonight. So from Isaiah chapter 8, uh, they have uh, printed out this text for us. And it, it, whenever I was first asked, uh, to speak on this subject, this verse, verses came to mind and I want to lead with them. Let's jump right in the middle right here where it says, bind up the testimony. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching of my disciples, Isaiah says. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwell on Mount Zion. Now here's the text. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. One translation has who peep and mutter. 
Who is this? Mediums and necromancers. You know what a necromancer is. That's one who claims to communicate with the dead. All right? A spirit medium claims to be able to contact people in the other world. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who church, chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Now here it comes. To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn, no light in them. His appeal is, actually it's the Torah, the, the teaching there in Hebrew is, to the Torah, to the first five books of Moses, and to the testimony, to the rest of the Old Testament. My appeal is to that. Don't come and tell me you have information to guide me and it comes not from the word of God. It comes from somebody from the other side. Somebody who, who uh, claims that they can communicate with the dead and they give information to you. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> Isaiah says, no, it's not cool. They, they're wizards who peep and mutter, who chirp and mutter like birds, and they say nothing. What is it? To the Torah and to the testimony. In other words, listen to the word of God. Don't listen to people's experiences. As a matter of fact, it is that same word who condemns these wizards, these necromancers, those who communicate with the dead. How can you go to somebody and find information when the Bible commands you not to do that? That shows you how desperate Saul was when he went to that spirit medium. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 28, he had commanded that all wizards and necromancers and spirit mediums be put out of Israel. And yet he was so desperate because he wouldn't listen to the word of God. He goes roundabout uh, on the other side. Oh, you uh, Ibex graduates, uh, they went on the other side of the hill of Moreh uh, to the little village of Endor at night. And he goes to a spirit medium. And how, how contradictory. He's the one who actually had condemned the spirit mediums. Wizards who peep and mutter. Don't listen to that. Listen to the Word of God. Second text, and I realize you all brought your Bibles tonight. I know, it's summer. I know, I know. But if you did bring your Bible, look at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 is the familiar text of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. They both die, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man goes to Hades. Now, I'm going to skip to the end of this because this is what uh, my point is. But remember what the rich man says. Ah, Father Abraham, send Lazarus with some cold water because uh, I'm dry. Thank you, Lazarus. Uh, 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 put some cold water on my tongue. He says, no, there's a great, there's a, there's a deep, uh, uh, vast cavern between him and you. He can't do that. He says, then, okay, if you won't come to me, how about my brothers? Listen to this. 
Verse 27. Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, that is, Father Abraham. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Verse 29. Listen to what Abraham said. But Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But, but Father Abraham, if somebody returns from the dead, they'll listen so they won't come here. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. Listen to it. Well, wouldn't it be more powerful if somebody returned from the dead and told them? Abraham says, no. No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, listen. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You know what I learned from this? We live in a day where some are, are looking for miracles. We're living in a day where somebody was looking for, wow, you know, if Lazarus, uh, who was raised from the dead, if you could bring him back and give a testimony, uh, maybe people would believe. We, 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 we need to see a miracle. Abraham says, no. They have what? The Bible. They have Moses and the prophets. If they want, listen to this, they won't believe even if somebody comes back from the dead. Sola Scriptura. Scripture is the highest, uh, highest authority. Even greater authority than a seeming miracle is the reliability of the Word of God. Oh boy, you know, I heard so-and-so happened and I want to go to this meeting and I want to go to this meeting and I hear that there's all sorts of things going on and I want to hear it and I want to see it. You've got it right here. You don't need to go to that miracle meaning. I'll never forget the story told me by a 375-pound co-worker of, me, of mine. <clears throat> he was from the south. He was from Alabama. He had a very high voice for a fat man. He really did. <laughs> he said, and I won't mention the faith healer. I won't mention. He said, I went to the pre-meeting where they tell the people what to do. And um, I, I told them I had a demon. And they said, okay, well, you tell brother so-and-so that you have a demon, and this is what you do when he, you know. He said, okay, so... He walks on, uh, he walks onto the platform, and you should see this guy, he's huge. And he walks up to this unnamed evangelist, and he said, young man, what's your problem? He said, I got a demon. Well, well, I was fitting in well with the program. He says, well, what's your demon problem, son? He said, I got the demon of fat. And the evangelist said, get him off the stage. Get him off the stage. Get him off the stage. And it took three guys to pull my friend away. As they were pulling him away, he was saying, but what about my demon? What about my demon? And they just pushed him off the stage. You know, if they speak not according to these, it's because there's no light in them. They have Moses and the prophets. They won't believe even if somebody does miracles, okay? 
That's what we mean by sola scriptura. Not that the Bible is the only thing that we read, but when you hear about all these other things, the only infallible report of what God does and says and wants you to know is in the pages of Scripture. Now, one more thing. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. When the Apostle Paul is preaching, does he try to use persuasive words of men's power? As a matter of fact, he says to the Corinthians, no. I don't use the persuasive words of people. Here's what I do. I tell them what the Bible says. Acts 17, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul went in as was his custom. Now listen to this, I love it. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from his experience. No, on three uh, 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 Sabbath days, he reasoned from them about the man that he had raised from the dead on the first journey. No. He reasoned with them from his experience. No. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to do th three things. To suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Messiah, is the Christ. First Sabbath, the Messiah must suffer. Where do you find that, Paul? In the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible. Second, the Messiah must rise from the dead. Where do you find that, Paul? In the Bible. And then thirdly, who has all these characteristics? The, the third point, Jesus is the Messiah. I worked for 17 years with a, uh, um, a Jewish mission called the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. It prepared me for these 48 trips to Israel and having the job that you die for to direct a program in Israel. And I have the privilege of directing IBEX, Israel Bible Extension Campus of the Master's University. And uh, it really working with Jewish people for those 17 years and getting a master's degree in Jewish studies really prepared me to direct this program. Let me tell you about what happened 20 years ago this past spring. You know her, Monica? Erica Altamirano. I knew her as Erica Weens, right? She was at Ibex. She was smart. <clears throat> she was at Ibex. And I went over to teach on the Messianic prophecies. And she was one of my students for a week there at Ibex. As we went through what Paul went through, reasoning from the scriptures that what? The Messiah must suffer. The Messiah must rise again. And Jesus is this Messiah from the scriptures. And I had a privilege of teaching her for a week. I'll never forget one of the things that happened that week that reminded me again of Sola Scriptura. It was Monday afternoon at four o'clock and we were teaching uh, Erica, Erica Weens, um, uh, about the Messiah in Isaiah 53. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've only quoted part of it. And I taught them how... Verse after verse, sometimes word after word in Isaiah 53 was fulfilled in the suffering of Jesus to a T. And even later in the chapter, it even strongly implies that he rises from the dead. Uh, But certainly it shows that he suffered. Judaism today does not teach that the Messiah has to suffer. And Isaiah 53 is a big issue. But most Jewish people have no idea what Isaiah 53 is. As a matter of fact, most Jewish people don't even know what Isaiah is. If they do know their Bible at all, it's the Torah, Genesis to Deuteronomy. They don't know much about Isaiah. Isaiah, Messiah, Messiah. You know, Jewish people are not dumb. It's just they just don't know. You say, well, don't they read Isaiah 53 in the synagogue? Eh. They don't. They don't read Isaiah 53 in the synagogue. Just like in some churches, uh, Jews read through the Torah in a year. Then they read through the prophets in a year. I mean, the same time. They will have a reading from the Torah, then a reading from the prophets. And it's on a yearly cycle. And when they get to August, in just less than uh, two months, the reading in Isaiah, they go through Isaiah, it stops at Isaiah 52, 11. The next Sabbath begins at Isaiah 54, 1. Isaiah 52, 12 through 53, 12, the suffering servant of Isaiah is skipped over in the synagogue readings. And I taught that to Erga and the students that afternoon. That evening, a rabbi came to lecture at Ibex, and he was lecturing on the Messiah. After he lectured and gave the Jewish view of the Messiah, he opened it up for questions. Eric, I remember we had two soccer girls, not soccer guys, two soccer girls who were at Ibex in the spring because they played soccer in the fall. And it just so happened that the two questions were asked by these two soccer girls. One of them said, Rabbi, why is it that the Jewish people do not read Isaiah 53 in the synagogue? He said, I don't know who told you that, but he's wrong. We read Isaiah 53 every year in the synagogue. Well, I had just told him that three hours before. I said, oh, this is going to be interesting. And then Beth, after this, I called her Tiger Beth. Just a little gal. Just a little gal. Remember Beth? She raised her hand and she said, Rabbi... I have a sheet here handed out in the synagogue that has the scripture readings and it skips Isaiah 53. 
Such a sweet little tiger she was. <laughs> the rabbi came back, looked at the sheet, which was from the synagogue, handed it back to her, and went to the front and said, Next question. Now, I felt bad for him. I didn't sit there and say, oh, yeah, you fool. I, I felt bad for him. But he had dug his own grave by standing up to that soccer player and saying, I don't know who told you that, but they were wrong. But he couldn't get away from Tiger Beth. <laughs> he dug his own grave, right? Why is it that they're hesitant, they don't why is it that they skip over Isaiah 53? Could it possibly be that they just don't want people to say, who is this talking about? Who is this talking about? Hey, does that sound familiar? Who is this talking about? Somebody, I don't have a book to give you. Does that sound familiar? The Ethiopian. He pulled over to the side of the road in his Rolls Royce. And he's reading his Bible. He's reading Isaiah 53. And Philip pulls up in his mini cooper. Rolls down the window. And he rolls down the window. And he says, understand what you're reading? No, I don't. How can I, unless someone guide me. Can I get in? He says, come in. Gets in the Rolls Royce. I'm milking this a little bit, you know, okay. And beginning at Isaiah 53, he explains to him, he says, who is he speaking about, of himself or somebody else? He says, he's speaking about Jesus. Who's Jesus? I'll tell you. And by the time he finishes telling him, he tells the chauffeur to pull over at the next pond. He wants to be baptized. <laughs> Beginning at that scripture, he explains to him that the one who's being spoken about is the Messiah. That's what Paul was doing in Acts 17 at Thessalonica. And some believed, but some Jewish unbelievers came in and chased him out of town. So he went to Berea. And he said, oh, I'm just suffering so much, Lord. I'm just going to give up. No, he didn't. He goes into the synagogue and he starts opening the scriptures again. And he, he keeps teaching in Berea. And there's something different that happens in Berea. Watch this. Now, these Jews, verse 11, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Here it is. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's sola scriptura, folks. Nothing thrills a pastor more than when he says, turn to so-and-so and so-and-so, and, -so -and, -so, and you hear this. You hear, and he, he hears that. Nothing thrills a pastor as much as that. It's not that pastors who really believe in this want to get it up and say, believe this, believe this, believe this. Don't, it, don't argue with me. 
No, a pastor who's worth his weight in salt wants his congregation to be following along and saying, Pastor, I'm tracking with you. And as long as you're tracking with the word of God, Pastor, I'm tracking with you. That's sola scriptura. That's the authority that is above any other authority. And if you disagree with me, it's okay if you disagree with me. I'm not the Pope of Rome, but just disagree with me on the basis of what the Bible says. Not because you just don't like what I'm saying. That is sola scriptura. Not trusting people's experiences or opinions or ideas, but basing everything that we believe on the supera scripture, the highest scripture, the highest authority, higher than anything else. So I hope as you explore the five solas that you'll know that people lived and died for these things. And they're worth living and dying for. Father, thank you for this precious congregation. Thank you that you've allowed me the privilege of spending some time with them. I realize, Lord, that for many of them, they say, well, I believed this before I came here tonight, and I still believe it, but may it come fresh and anew to us. May we search the Scriptures daily as we hear Pastor Scott teach the Word May we track with him as we're comparing Scripture with Scripture. Thank you for godly teachers who teach us the Word of God. May we support them. May we encourage them. And may that Word come with power to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.